1: The Big Sister Hotline is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I pay my respects to elders past and present. The Hotline is proud to be an ongoing supporter of JIRA, an Aboriginal-controlled community organisation where culture is shared and celebrated. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal, and Black Lives Matter. This episode of the Big Sister Hotline contains references to eating disorders, fat phobia, domestic abuse and suicide. Listeners who may be triggered by these things are advised to proceed with caution. Big Sister Hotline, how can we help? Hello guys, gals and non-binary pals. You're listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny and feminist advice on life, love and whether or not you should break up with your no good Nick boyfriend. Spoiler, the answer is always yes. I am your host, Clementine Ford, author of the books Fight Like a Girl and Boys Will Be Boys and the forthcoming How We Love. And my guest this week is a 27-year-old fat activist and lived experience peer support advocate from far north Queensland. She has a wildly successful Instagram account focusing on fat activism, mental health awareness, self-care and body positivity. And she facilitates workshops worldwide around body image, peer support and community connection. In 2019, she co-created the Body Reconnect Collective with Ashley Bennett of the Body Image Therapist. She is Danny Adriana. Danny, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you going up there in hot, humid, far North Queensland? Oh my God, it's
0: crazy. It's like 36 degrees today. Normally I love it up here, but summer is like... I've never had kids, so I can't imagine this is true, but I imagine like... It's how you forget what the birth process is until you go through it again. It's like every summer I get tricked that it's not going to be that hot, but it's like horrible.
1: (laughs) Mm. See, I am a summer person and I find myself yearning in wintertime for the hot summer days. But yes, I understand. I feel where you're coming from. I mean, down in Melbourne, we get more of the dry heat, but it can be pretty brutal. Yeah, it's pretty fun. This is a good reminder to everyone to please put on your SPF this summer and wear your hats, slip, slop, slap. The sun damage is real, particularly here in Australia, where we live under a giant fucking hole in the ozone layer. So true. Danny. you started your Instagram in 2013. And in that time, you've become a really wildly popular body positivity and fat liberation activist. I want to talk to you in a minute about the difference between those two things. But let's just go back to 2013 and where you were in your life at, at that point. I mean, you would have been what? 20 years old, 21 years old, what prompted you to, I guess, do something that even at that time was not really being spoken of as much as it is today?
0: No. So I suppose my account has kind of gone through growth and generations of content as well. I initially started my account as like an eating disorder recovery account. And this is back in the day on Instagram where like posting quotes as like your main account was like a really popular thing to do. So I would kind of just like write up little quotes and do captions. And I mainly wanted to talk about eating disorder recovery in larger bodies because I didn't really see that being talked about anywhere. Mm. And then... Then I kind of found out about body positivity and then obviously fat liberation came a little bit later and I had been in recovery from my eating disorder because I had eating disorder history and a lot of trauma mental health stuff as a teenager and I had been in recovery for about two years at that point so I was kind of just trying to find my place and like my community I guess because in my day-to-day life i the people i did know that had eating disorders had a very different experience because of their size mm. originally i had a different name it was under choose life warrior which something that my friend used to say to me a lot was like you know you need to be choosing life instead of the behaviors and contexts that i was living in but then i did decide to change my name eventually because i just felt like my account had grown and even though i do still talk about eating disorder recovery it's not really my main focus anymore
1: Mm. It's interesting that uh, perception of who can and can't be in eating disorder recovery. And I compl- in a different way, obviously, because we have completely different lived experiences, but that sense of your eating disorder is only legitimate or real, or even was like, quote unquote, and I'm using this term extremely sarcastically, but this is how people think, was only effective if you are very, very thin. Whereas, of course, we know that in the same way that you can't tell the health of someone by looking at their size, you also can't tell their relationship with food, their relationship with mental health and their relationship with eating disorders.
0: Definitely true. I think that that was one of the biggest hurdles in me actually getting help. I'd suffered through eating disorder behavior and an eating disorder for roughly seven years before I even thought about seeing a therapist, and I was 18 at that time. And I think what people don't really understand as well is that, in terms of mental illness, like eating disorders are one of the highest death rates of any mental illness. And usually the cause of death is suicide, not starvation or malnutrition. So It's a really dangerous precedent to think that the size of someone is like the severity of what they're going through. Because really, if anyone who's ever had an eating disorder or been around anyone with an eating disorder, weight has very little to do with the underlying cause and the underlying trauma that is surrounding that. Mm. It can definitely be a side effect be that weight gain or weight loss, but sometimes it's a piece of the puzzle that's very focused on in recovery, but it doesn't really affect anybody's severity.
1: Mm. So, I can only speak obviously for my own personal experience and my own relationship with eating disorders and disordered eating because they they are distinct from each other but they can both be present at the same time. It resonates with me what you're saying because for me, my experience, particularly as a teenage girl, with quite a significant eating disorder that was very well hidden. I thought that it was about size and about bodies and about entering adolescence and trying my best to fit in or to kind of, you know, I was a fat kid and then I entered adolescence as a fat adolescent and that's an enormous pressure cooker anyway, adolescence. And then I was, you know, my family moved around a lot as well so there's all of that stuff. But for me, actually reflecting on it as an adult, a lot of it was obviously about control, which is the lack of control that I felt that I had over my life, over my circumstances, over who I was. And ironically, of course, you're not in control of it at all, but it's one thing that you feel you can be in control of. And I've talked about this on the podcast before as well. For me, again, personal experience, one of the really harmful things was how much positive affirmation I got because of it. Because of course, in the world that we live in, the smaller you are as a girl or a woman, the better, the more quote unquote morally worthy you are. And the more admirable you are at being able to fulfill the contractual obligation that girls are conditioned into, which is to be aesthetically pleasing to all people at all times.
0: Yeah, I so agree. And I think like the pressure on women particularly. I mean, and that's not to say that other people of other gender identities don't suffer from eating disorders because they definitely do. But there's already a kind of lack of control around our bodies in so many aspects growing up anyway. We're Mm. kind of told that our bodies aren't for us. Our looks aren't for us. You know, a lot of our individuality is kind of taken from us. And it's a way of expressing yourself that is also very internalized and you're not hurting anyone else. You're not acting out or being aggressive or all of these things that we're taught as women, we're not allowed to do or blame others. It's like a really insidious way for us to like turn all of that pain that's already been throwing at us, at us even more so. So true. Yeah. It's really weird because I just turned 28. So I, each year that I get further away from that part of my life, I look at it with such more compassionate and kind eyes thinking that a 14 year old was going through that. Mm. But even in my early stages of recovery as an 18, 20 year old, there was still a lot of like self guilt and responsibility. I held on myself for that scenario. That's one of the gifts of aging is that you get to, as you go through your life stages, kind of reflect in a deeper, more nuanced way. And it brings a lot of forgiveness, I think, for your inner child self if you're doing that work because you understand how much pressure there is. And, I mean, I was a teen... I was in grade eight in 2005. So I, yes, we had the internet, but we really only had MySpace. Like Instagram wasn't a thing yet. Like I definitely did exist in an internet based world, but compared to the world that is mm. now, like I have no idea how teenage teenagers in general function, <laughs> like the pressure and insaneness of it. I just can't.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that too sometimes, but then I'm also, you know not to discount all of those pressures and the magnitude of them in a world that is so indistinguishable from social media you know but people of a particular generation will say things like well just get off the internet and you're like that is not fucking realistic dude you know this is this is the world that we live in now that's like saying to kids in the 60s just stop listening to records just turn off yeah. the tv the black and white family tv like it's part of the landscape so we need to change attitudes rather than saying, well, just separate yourself from the world. I started making some TikToks a few months ago, but then I stopped and now I just look at TikTok. And I'm really encouraged by the confidence of young girls in particular on that app and the way in which you see things like body positivity and fat liberation being explored and engaged with in a way that I wouldn't have even conceived of a world when I was 13.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one thing that the internet has given the gift of teenagers is that if they are the weird kid or if they're the gay kid or if they're the kid who lives in like the middle of Western Australia that, you know, has a very like conservative town that doesn't have a lot of different ideas about it, you can find your people a lot quicker and easier than what it was before because I didn't really see myself reflected as far as I thought in media growing up at all. Mm. And, you know, I'm still a pretty privileged white girl and I didn't even feel like I fit what was being shown to me. So I remember when I was in high school thinking like, oh, nothing's ever going to be different. Like I'm stuck in this hell. And I feel like some places of the internet, if kids are using it obviously in an appropriate way, can kind of give them some solace that there's a bigger world out there that they can be a part of. And they're not just stuck Mm. in what their reality is. Because that's such a short period of your life, but it's such an intense time in your development as a human. And I think the older you get, you kind of forget how hard that is to be a teenager. Honestly, Gen Z and like the amount of information I see on the internet of them now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that
1: we're going to be fine, <laughs> like as long as they can get into power sooner than later. <laughs> yeah. Well, something that you said before as well reminded me about, you know, some of the ways in which I'm seeing girls and also gender non-conforming people wrestling back this narrative of ownership. You were saying that we internalise these ideas of how we need to look in order to be considered attractive and obviously like we know that that's true but the ownership that cis men in particular claim over any bodies that aren't cis men but also bodies in particular that they code as girls and women this is like girls you don't need to wear makeup you don't need to wear makeup you're a queen you don't need to wear that shit it's like who fucking asked you buck No one asked you. Women don't wear this shit for you. That's one of the things that's kind of been, I mean, it's such a, in lots of ways it's a really small thing, but in other ways it feels to me like a really huge thing to suddenly have this new dialogue that, oh, we don't do these things for men and we can tell them, we don't do these things for you, you know, like, This is not for you. Not everything that women do in their lives is designed to appeal to you men or to be, you know, approved of by you. Who gives a fuck if you like makeup or not? It's nothing to do with you.
0: Yeah. And I think you see that particularly in like the queer spaces too, because there's a lot of narrative and I remember even watching 2000s movies kind of growing up around this in in terms of like guys thinking like if a girl was a lesbian, like they just needed like a really good guy, like a really good dick to like turn them. Mm. And I think with more conversations and specifically exploring like queer relationships and queer narratives, even for straight women and cis women, that's really helpful to understand that the complexity of humanity and individuality is like really separate to cis dudes' opinions, Mm. (laughs) regardless of what they think. That's why like as much as I understand the negatives of social media and as someone who has been online for a long time and dealt with a lot of shit, I get it's not easy. When people discount social media as shallow, it really bugs me because we have this new generation of people who are able to broadcast their opinions and voices to millions of others, which they would have been blocked from in so many different ways by traditional media beforehand. And it's such a gift that they get to speak for themselves without any filtering or editing by some, old white dude in some TV studio kind of depending on what he thinks the popular people want to see like Mm. it really is an age where it's such a complex conversation around information sharing but at the same time it's the first time that anyone can broadcast their own thoughts to others without being constricted by that and I think that's like a really cool thing that we forget about Because I know growing up, even Facebook, like you were only really friends with the people you went to school with or something. It's such a different landscape
1: that can be used for good as well as evil. (laughs) I wanted to ask you about this great post that you put up today on your Instagram. You basically pointed out that how frustrating it was to you as someone who is both a fat liberation activist and a body positivity activist, and also someone who exists and lives as a fat woman to see straight-sized women, particularly those, or it's exacerbated more when they're white, cis, straight women, posting photographs of themselves with, in different angles where they're like, this is me standing up and this is me sitting down and seeing my roles. Like these are all normal positions, et cetera. And you had this really great post which really made me think a lot about the posts that I see that do this where you were like, you can't just move in and out of state of being where you're like, here's my role. See, we all have them because fat people have roles all the time. And anyway, I'm explaining it badly. Can you explain that please? (laughs) Sure. It's a pretty
0: nuanced conversation. And like, I do just want to preface that, like, I never think that I am like, A queen of fat liberation or body positivity. Like I'm definitely not like the archangel of rightness. (laughs) (laughs) Even within body positive and fat liberation spaces, there's different communities who have different thoughts on this. And all are valid and great. And like mine's just my opinion, I guess. But I've been, like I've said, I've been on the internet since 2013. So next year I'll have been on the internet for eight years. And Eight years ago, when I started my Instagram, the main people I saw talking about body positivity were like fat women of color or queer people or disabled people, people who were clearly from marginalized communities talking about their experience of what it's like living in their body and kind of fighting those oppressive systems. And slowly, as with anything that becomes popular, it has been like whitewashed and thin washed particularly around 20 I would say 2017 2018 is when I started noticing a big shift in that main reason was because suddenly fitness culture started talking about body positivity in a big way capitalism yeah mainstream brands started talking about body positivity in terms of size inclusivity even though in my opinion, unless you're offering like custom sizing, that's not really inclusive. The main post I'm really talking about, which I have talked about on my account before, but I see it happening more now on TikTok in terms of stuff, is the conversation around bodies look different in different poses isn't as problematic to me as when I've seen ones of people who are like holding excess skin basically and like forming it into a roll, or like grabbing parts of their body that is fleshy like all of our bodies are and kind of exhibiting that as a flaw and being like we're all flawed see but the conversation gets nuanced for me because what happens is while those individuals might feel really insecure and have a lot of body confidence issues around their bodies, like all people who exist on this planet, regardless what size you are, because that's what, like, capitalism does. But they're not systemically oppressed because of that. Mm. And claiming that that's a body positive act is difficult for me. I think the way people get body positivity confused and why so many fat people have now... Completely stopped using the word is because people think it means being positive about your body. And the real clear distinction is it's not actually about body confidence or self-love or self-care. Those themes can all be interwoven into that work, but it's about the exact oppression people face in really systemic ways, whether that be healthcare, whether that be access to clothing, whether that be disability, whether that be in the workplace, in relationships. There's a lot of people having conversations around body positivity that is just about see, look, I have flaws too, so you should also feel confident in your body. That's not inherently a bad conversation to have. For a lot of people, that's the really step one of revolutionary unpacking, you know, the patriarchal society that we live in. That's usually a lot of people's first introduction Mm. into it. And it was mine too. So I definitely want to know that people can grow to do other stuff. Where I find it problematic though, is that there becomes this dichotomy that, particularly thin people who have never struggled with weight or have never been surrounded by marginalized people or are still really deeply rooted in their fat phobia, decide that there's suddenly a benchmark for body positivity. So, okay, it's all right if you're body positive, but you can't be above a size 14 and be body positive because then you're inherently fat and then you're inherently not worthy of people's respect, you're inherently doing damage to your body, all of these really fat phobic ideas. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, the posts that show people changing their bodies, even though they're in a thin body to seem like they are fat or have roles is disrespectful to people who actually live in fat bodies and don't have the magical ability to even make their bodies look different in a different pose. Because Mm. regardless of that, they're fat all the time. And that oppression follows you everywhere. And- it doesn't matter how much you love yourself as a fat person. You can think you're the most beautiful, amazing person on the planet and be super body confident, but that doesn't erase the oppressive systems that make your life really shit. Yeah. And that's a difference for me because a lot of thin people suddenly then find body confidence and they're like, oh, my life is so much better and easier. And it's like, well, yeah, of course it is because in general, people do think you're hot. And in general, you can find clothes anywhere you go. And in general, the doctor does not really sure about your weight again and again and again. Those things don't happen to you. Mm. So I understand my body confidence feels revolutionary to you because it has changed your internal structure. But no matter how hard marginalized people try to change their internal work, it doesn't matter how much you love yourself we're still existing in a world that actively dislikes us and hates us and is violent towards us in a Mm. lot of ways. And that's coming from me. Who's like, you know, still considered a pretty, yes, I'm fat, but I'm not a super fat person in terms of how some people identify. I'm not marginalized financially. I am not a person of color. I have chronic illness, but I'm not technically part of the disability community, I would say. So I can't imagine how much harder it would be for people to see those things and be like, okay, the biggest thing for you is like when you sit down, you have a role like that can be powerful as fuck on an internal confidence level. And I don't want to take away from that, but if you're looking at it as a body positive movement, it's inherently problematic Mm. for other people who are existing in bodies that can't do that. And that's kind of what I was trying to explain.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and you did it really well in your post, but you've done it exceptionally well here as well. It's blown my mind a little bit to hear you say all that, not because the concept of what you're saying sounds new, but just because I think that that will actually really have an impact on people listening to you say that. I remember Lindy West writing about how, you know, and particularly in America as well, the healthcare system is fucked. So it's compounded by that, although Lindy even would say that she has an incredible amount of privilege within that system, financial, racial, access, etc cetera. But I remember that she spoke about going to the doctor. She knew that there was something wrong with her foot. And obviously, this is a common experience for a lot of fat people dealing with the health profession. The doctor just kept going back to, well, it's a weight thing. It's a weight thing. You need to... I don't want to tell her story for her, but she did post about it publicly and it turned out she had a bone spur in her foot. So there was something wrong with her. It was nothing to do with her weight, as she knew, and yet she was undiagnosed for months and ended up with more significant issues than she would have had had she been treated properly in the first place. And there's a new podcast that's been started by Mike from You're Wrong About and he's doing it with Aubrey. I can't remember her the last name off the top of my head. I'm sorry, but I will put the details in the liner notes. But it's called Maintenance Phase and they're talking about the health industry and fat phobia and Aubrey's just had a book released and one of their latest episodes is about anti-fat bias and I would recommend that people listen to it and expand on the conversation that you've started here, Danny. I also think that there's definitely, as you said, it's a monetization of it, that back in 2017 when brands could start being you know, talking about body positivity and Dove's whole, like, here's a range of very closely related in size with slight differentiation women who all are still pretty conformist in terms of their shape. It's a way of creating this illusion that the world is changing without actually addressing, as you said, systemic oppression, marginalization, and structural harm that is done to fat people and particularly fat people of color and disabled fat people, especially.
0: Yeah, I feel like even though there was a really big fat activist movement that kind of coincided along the first wave of feminism, mainly that happened like in America and also I feel like in a lot of ways we're still stuck in a very narrow view of like that first wave of fat activism in general society, particularly because like I mean, this is getting a bit deep, but particularly I think the further away we move from religion, the more health and wellness has become like our source of absolution. Mm-hmm. Because now that we don't gather in, and plenty of people still do, but in terms of like, we're not all going to church on Sunday because that's as a community, what we do to show that we are a part and one another. And that we're moral. Yeah. The further away we move from like, you know, religious indoctrination in terms of like community acceptance and like being a good person, you've seen this real rise in like health and wellness and particularly like, you know, clean foods and clean eating and exercise. And that all has a really big impact on fat bodies, Mm. even if it's seemingly positive, because there is still such narrow views around health. And also just the fact that In general, people have to strive to be healthy, is ableist and problematic in itself because Mm -hmm. some people will never be what we consider healthy and they don't have to be. Nobody owes anybody else
1: health. Mm. That was really important for me to, you know, read that argument as well. I'm familiar with that argument because. Of course, like it made sense when it was explained to me and it wasn't like I'd come from this perspective of like, well, everyone should be healthy, but just having it laid out like that, having someone say, you know what, even if a fat person isn't healthy, even if a fat person has chronic illness, they still deserve to be respected. They still deserve access to healthcare and they still deserve to be taken seriously in every facet of their lives. And to be yeah. accommodated in the same way that everyone would be would expect to be accommodated or have access in society. Yeah.
0: To be fair, I think it really comes from like a deep-seated fear of like death and morality that as humans we're not very good at dealing with. Mm. I think in general a lot of people now that we have like moved away from as mainstream religious practices as what we have in the past as a full society, I think that people are really scared of their own immortality, their own inevitable death. And with that, we kind of cling to a lot of reasons behind how we Mm. treat other people. It's really funny because I feel like whenever you see a large reaction from someone, even if it comes across as anger, to me, one of the deepest rooted feelings apart from guilt and shame can be fear. And I think that people are really scared of Fat bodies in general, just because of not only everything they've ever been told, but just in regards to what they think that means their life would be like. Mm. I think even though a lot of my posts, sometimes I get accused of, well, not recently, but like the post I did today, like, I'm sure people are going to say that I'm thin shaming someone. I think it's important to have these like (laughs) complex conversations around what it means for other people in the movement, because Hmm. as it's become more popular, marginalized people once again, have been forced out of the conversations and out of the point of what this was which is really deeply rooted in political activism mm. and not just rooted in being able to buy leggings from lululemon you know yeah it's a bit shit to watch something that has been built and particularly built by women of color but it's not surprising that it has now shifted into a conversation that is really just distracting us from the actual purpose in my opinion
1: mm. I would love to talk to you more and more about this. I actually would (laughs) love for you to come back and do another episode with me, maybe one with no questions, but where we just discuss this. That would be really great. But for now we do have to go to the questions. Are you ready? Yeah, so excited. I love giving my unsolicited opinion on other people's situations. (laughs) (laughs) You are listening to the Big Sister Hotline with me, your host, Clementine Ford, and my guest this week, Danny Adriana. We are going to get to the questions from little sisters now, but please also note my disclaimer in very big flashing lights that neither I nor Danny are doctors, counselors, or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just two women who've got a little thing called life experience and who sweat a lot on a hot day. breaking up is hard to do, writes, I just broke up with my long-term boyfriend yesterday and I was hoping you might have some words of encouragement. We bought a house together earlier this year and we'll continue living together until we can sort out all the practical details. Breaking up with him feels like one of the hardest things I've ever done because we've been very happy together and he hasn't done anything wrong, but I've been unhappy for a few months already. I know that I don't need a reason to break up and it's okay to put myself first and I'm looking forward to being alone. I want to be a solo mum, but I still feel sad and guilty about hurting him and think, what else could I have done to make it work? Even though I know the answer is nothing, I already gave it my all, he was the one who should have done more. Anyway, I'm still processing all the difficult feelings and I'll be speaking to my counsellor about it tomorrow. I'm sadder than I expected to be and I'm wondering whether I made the right choice, even though it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. Any big sister advice and encouragement would be much appreciated. Danny. Yes. (laughs) A relevant one for you to answer at this juncture in time, although slightly different scenario. Of course. I just went through a huge breakup.
0: Actually, the only breakup I've ever been through. So it's pretty awful. We were together for seven years. We owned a house together. We were engaged. Our wedding was planned. And we broke up. I, (laughs) I, I'm in a pretty bitter place about relationships (laughs) in general, but I think that so much of what this person is saying, particularly the line where they said they are looking forward to being alone with just their child is pretty indicative that you've probably made the right choice. I mean, I don't have a lot of breakup experience and I'm assuming all breakups kind of suck in their own way, regardless of if you're the dumper or the dumpy. She wrote a line in there, didn't she say, that they've put a house together.
1: So they're going to continue living together until they can sort out all the practical details. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think so. I know I don't need a reason to break up and it's okay to put myself first. But I mean, the thing is that she's going through the guilt cycle. She's obviously initiated the breakup and she's done that after a long period of reflection where she's... Not happy. Uh, You know, I get this question a lot from women, actually, particularly those in relationships with men. And we've talked about it numerous times on the podcast as well. But this idea that you can only break up with someone if there's something really wrong, you know, or if he's like cheated on you, or if he's secretly spending all of your money, whatever it might be, that you have to have this for women in particular, men are never expected to have a reason to break up with someone beyond, I'm just not really happy anymore. But yeah. because of patriarchal conditioning around how women partner with men, we're expected to sort of go, oh, but this is the dream. I got what we all want, which is I landed a man. We were living together. We were on track to getting married. Like yeah. what more could I want? Which is why people say to women, well, your standards are too high. Yeah, You're being too picky. And it's like, no, my standards are not too high. My standards are exactly my standards for what I want And it's not too picky to enforce that because I'm very happy being alone. This is the thing is that people struggle to, you know, wrap their head around the idea that women could possibly be happy being alone, being mothers alone. And so we're expected to kind of in the same way that when you do partner with men, you're expected to fulfill a lot of labor for them in so many different ways and to facilitate their lives and to be their mothers, their lovers, and their maids. Yeah. That you're also expected to subsume your own happiness and go, well, what does it really matter if I'm like fulfilled? Aren't my standards too high because I want to have some fulfillment?
0: Yeah. It's also just like I've noticed, and I think this is particularly through my breakup too, even though it was a completely different situation, is that in general, I would say women in especially straight relationships are really good at taking on all of the emotional burdens. So it makes sense to me that even though you broke up and there's a part of you that's really solidified in terms of that is what is best for you, which is most important. You're also made to feel like have to hold the grief of the relationship on top mm-hmm. of everything else or feel guilty as if you owe him something. Which yeah is not a real thing. You don't owe anyone anything. I think through my breakup, the biggest thing I've learned is that you spend so much time considering the other person and their choices and their feelings and in your life decisions as well. And when you have made a life decision for yourself in the way that this person has, it can be difficult not to put assumptions on how the other person is feeling as well Mm. and kind of take responsibility for that. Whereas at the end of the day, like relationships are a two way thing. And also the biggest thing that I've learned from talking about my relationship ending with other people is that the growth that you can experience after a breakup, regardless of the scenario and who did who can be such a gift that not everybody gets. Mm. And I think particularly for my generation, like we watched a lot of my mom's friends, other people, and my parents are still together and whatever. But there was this expectation of even for their generation that got married in the eighties, that you stay regardless of your self-happiness, particularly
1: if you have a child. Oh yeah. Stay for the children.
0: Yeah. If you don't have children, then like, oh, okay. Yeah. You could break up and probably not the best idea. You're probably too old to find anyone, but like, if you really are unhappy, but if you have a child, it's your responsibility to hold the family together. And it's such a weird dichotomy of what they think family looks like, because there's lots of families that have a lot of different moving parts and people that doesn't look like the traditional husband and wife mm. and they successful, happy, fulfilled families. Mm. My relationship ending was part of my choice. I've made the decision not to get back together with my ex, but the instigation of everything wasn't my decision. Like it didn't come from feelings within me, if that makes sense. So yeah,
1: yeah. it must be hard. I think that you are spot on when you talk about women kind of holding space for men's emotions in a way that men don't really look <sighs> – not all men. Obviously there are some, obviously there are some men who are emotionally mature enough and literate enough to be able to have that kind of intimate and supportive relationship with a woman. But, and I'm, I'm prepared to admit that my views may be tainted by the fact that I am overwhelmingly the recipient of so many horrible stories ranging from just sort of casual disrespect to like outright abuse. I do feel like I have a pretty good perspective on the pulse of relationships in Australia at least and if not just the knowledge that there are fucking thousands and thousands of women who are being treated badly in some way. So I feel like that idea that women hold the space for men's emotions is pretty obvious, you know, that in a way that men don't reciprocate in general. And it makes sense to me not only knowing that, and reading her message but also having experienced myself when I've broken up with people, it makes sense to me that guilt is a part of it because you, you are conditioned to believe that your man's emotions, it's not even that like you're responsible for keeping him happy because this is key to your happiness, but just that you're responsible for keeping him happy because that's key to being a good girl, as you said. And yep. getting over that guilt I think is – not only beneficial in terms of recovering from a single breakup, but also incredibly important and instructive for you as a woman going forward in your life. Because the way that you feel about breakups in your late 30s as opposed to breakups in your mid-20s, if you have learned that early on, that like that guilt is not yours to hold, will be so different than if you reach your late 30s or even your mid 40s or your 50s or whatever, and you still feel this obligation to make sure that men are protected and coddled through whatever kind of emotional upheaval you put them through. And it's that's interesting as well, that we think of it as like us putting them through it, when so often... It's just that women get to the end of their tether. They're like, I'm sick of yeah. being invisible. I'm sick of being taken for granted. I'm sick of being mistreated or abused in some way or ridiculed or whatever it might be or just unhappy. I'm sick of being unhappy. Yeah. And that's why I think, like circling back to the start, that's why I think we are also you kind of labour under this false idea that we have to stay in a relationship if there's nothing really wrong because, of course, we are also taught that being in a relationship is the be all and end all. And that being in an unhappy relationship or just even a mildly dissatisfying relationship has to, by virtue of it being with a man who has picked you, has to be better than being a woman living alone. This is something I feel like I wish that so many more women could unlearn this or that we had the ability to talk about this. Or I guess we do. Like, this is what I try and do on my Instagram account is try and keep going back to this idea that you it's not as cheesy as like you are enough but that actually like we need to unlearn this idea that somehow we aren't enough by ourselves that that yeah. the only way that we have a valid life as women is to be seen by a man and then unfurl in his presence
0: yeah it's why men can like a celebrity men like leonardo dicaprio or george clooney can be single until they're like 55 yeah. and date all these women And, like, quote, unquote, and I'm using this in a positive way, basically be what they describe as a whore. And yet when they get married and settle down at 50, they're still a valuable commodity. Like it makes them even more valuable in a way because it's like, oh,
1: she caught him. Yeah, she (laughs) caught him. She landed him. And they're always much younger as well, you know. Yeah. But someone who is one of your favourite artists, Taylor Swift in her fucking early 20s, would be talked about as having, oh, oh another failed relationship for Tay-Tay, you know, like she's fucking 23. She's allowed to, she can sleep with 150 men in a week if she wants to. And that's her fucking prerogative.
0: Yeah. But also it's like the reflection, and I think this is where maybe the questioner is feeling the guilt from, is that because she's the one that's made the choice it's always the question of like, what didn't you do enough anyway? But mm. then if you're the one that makes the choice, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe you would choose that. Like how you were mm. saying, like most people that I have known, not actually not true. Actually, a lot of my friends are opposite to me, but like even I, before this breakup, always have really admired single women, always really admired single mothers. But like, I did kind of fall into this category of like, well, I'm getting my Cinderella story and who doesn't want their Cinderella Mm. story? Everybody wants the Cinderella story. So I think the biggest thing that will help this person with their guilt is like a time, because especially once he moves out of the house, hopefully they don't have to live together. She'll have space to understand that. Like, yeah, she is happier, but also that, It's like how people say, like, no is a full sentence. Yeah. Like, I want to break up is a full reason.
1: Yeah. That you don't have to explain it. (laughs) So true. Yeah, it just just because you want that is reason enough. And, yeah, I've kind of always struggled with the idea that, like, if someone says that they want to break up with you, that you try and talk them out of it. I mean, obviously there are exceptions where – you can go to counselling and maybe people think if they own a house together or they've got kids, maybe they're like, this is worth saving. But Of course. But I also think that we need to really unpack and move away from that idea that, like, we get into one relationship for the rest of our lives and then we have to, like, keep working at it, you know. I said to you the other day in a message, (laughs) you know, because I know that you're going through this breakup and I know that it's very painful in lots of ways for you and – When you're kind of, from my own experience, when I've had my heart broken, not that I'm saying your heart's been broken, but when I've been in that kind of grief space, particularly to be honest, not to sound condescending at all, it's just, it was something I learned through age, particularly when I was younger and I hadn't had a child yet. I don't know if that's something that you want, but I did want that at some point where I thought, well, now I've got to start again. Yeah. I have felt like that. Yeah. I think that's another reason why people hesitate to break up because they're like, "Oh, I've invested 5 years in this already, you know? Like I don't yeah. want to just throw it away." And it's because we think that something ending means that it's discarded broken. or it's, or it's broken. But it's taught us yeah. about ourselves, you know? Like I think that I'm a strong woman and I think that I have strong commitment to single dim or I, as I like to call it, being complete in myself. I'm that way because of every single relationship I've had. Like, none of them have been a waste in any way.
0: Well, it's the same as, like, I think that in general we're not very good at separating relationships of any kind, including friendships, ending without having, like, someone having to be a villain. Mm. And in my relationship ending is a bit different, I would say, for the few people in the world that know (laughs) what has transpired, including Clem. But there's a lot of people who have ended relationships that it doesn't discount the beauty and the gift and the learning and the love that existed during that period. It just doesn't exist anymore. And that's not a bad thing. And that doesn't mean what you had was not valid or real mm. or important, mm. you know, cause that is still, it's the same as my breakup. My breakup has been horrific and awful. And yet there are still aspects of that time period of my life. And it's seven years of, you know, my twenties that have really shaped who I am in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. I don't regret that part. I think the initial guilt part is the hardest part to get over, but outside of the guilt that she's talking about in this letter, all of her other sentences and kind of vibes are that this is something that she wants for herself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really brave thing to do. Fuck that's brave.
1: Yeah. You know, especially with a child. And that's a brave thing for anyone. I don't think she has a child. I think that she is willing.
0: Oh, they just have a house.
1: Yeah, I think she's eager to be a sole mum, which also I think is amazing. And for anyone, by the way, who is interested in solo mothering and intentionally solo mothering, um, the episode that we did, I think it's episode 40 with Ali Collier. Ali Collier went down the intentional become a mother using a sperm donor in her late 30s. And it's a really great episode for anyone who's considering that we've got to wrap this one up now. What I will just quickly summarize by saying is that I think that as soon as possibly you are able to, which may not be next week, but as soon as you are possibly able to, you need to live away from him. You need to get out of that house because one of the most important things that you can do post breakup, whether or not you initiated it or they initiated it is to set up your new space and to do it with love and with care and with kindness for yourself. I know that Danny, you've done that recently as well. And to make Mm -hmm. it a space that even if that might bring you some grief in doing it, it is a space that gets to be just yours and that you get to put your things where you want without compromise. You can incorporate as much colour or not as you like. It can be minimal or it can be cluttered, whatever. For me, that's been one of the most important things in my evolution to really valuing and appreciating being a single woman, being a complete woman, is that my space is my fucking space. It doesn't get to be anyone else's and I get to choose when they come in and out of it and that for me is like it's so unburdening it's such a release I feel so free in it that's beautiful and you know come up with some things that you wanted to do but that maybe he never wanted to do and fucking do them Like three things. Yeah. Something I've been doing during my breakup, which is like
0: random and seems like inconsequential, but like I uh, can be quite a routined person and like we had a very established life and we were getting married. So it was pretty serious. And like when you've lived with someone too, like, you know, we had our own house together like this person has, is like, I'll do little things now and when I go to the coffee shop, I'll order something that. I never ever even wanted and I don't even think I'll probably like but just to kind of like test the waters of like do I not like what I like or am I just like conditioned to do the same thing all the Mm. time and some of it has been really shitty and some of it has like I've found new things I like and it's important to even if you don't feel like you can move forward doing the practical stuff to move forward helps you move forward
1: yes even though it feels shitty yes but you'll be fine You've done a really yes. good and brave, beautiful thing for yourself. And you will remember this one day and feel like, yeah, I did fucking good. Agreed. Married to an Older Man says, My husband and I have been married for three years and have a toddler together. Events this year have led to us moving in with my mum temporarily, and it's made me think a lot about my marriage and if I want to stay. We met 11 years ago when I was 18 and he was 37. For the first six to seven years, there was a lot of lies, gaslighting and manipulation on his part. I stayed because it felt less painful than leaving. There have been instances of violence where he would scream and throw objects around the room. Once I was mad because I found out he'd been messaging an ex-girlfriend and didn't tell me, and his reaction was to throw my laptop across the room and threaten me. He's never hurt me physically. Before our marriage, I was assaulted by a male friend, and my husband told me it was my fault for having male friends. In the last three years, his mental health has improved, and this awful behaviour stopped. He's not perfect, but he is a great husband now and amazing dad to our daughter. The trouble is my mental health has also improved, and I'm looking back at our relationship with a lot of clarity. I wouldn't want my daughter to go through a fraction of what I have, and if it's not good enough for her, is it good enough for me? Does good present behaviour make up for past abuse? I'm at a crossroads and feel that living with my mum gives me the opportunity to get out if I wanted to. I can't help but fantasise about a life with just me and my daughter. He would be present, obviously, as a co-parent in a clean, tidy house where if housework isn't done, it's because I haven't done it, not because my husband has left me to do it. But I do love him and he treats me very well now. I'm stuck from Stuck in the Mud. Actually, it wasn't married to an older man. She gave herself a name, Stuck in the Mud. Mm. I feel like this Fuck. carries on so well from the last question because it picks up on a lot of those themes. What are your thoughts? Oh my thoughts are she should leave.
0: (laughs) Yeah. My initial thing is like red flag, like it'll happen again. But I, I don't know. I'm pretty scorned lately. So I don't (laughs) know. Okay. If this was my friend and she told me this exact scenario, this is what I would say. I would say, has his mental health improved because he's going to therapy or like some type of intervention? Like, did he go see a therapist? Maybe he started mental health medication. Does he talk about what transpired at the start of your relationship? and like show remorse or guilt or explain what was happening for him in those scenarios. The only way I would stay in this relationship now, given my experiences would be if all of those were thoroughly explored and he fully owned and appreciated that those instances were abusive Hmm. because regardless she put the thing that he's never been physically violent. You don't need to be physically violent to be abusive actually that's like a small proportion of like domestic violence, how it ends up, you know, Mm. and that some people are physically violent, but like there's a lot of other ways to be emotionally abusive.
1: And that sort of ties into what the last little sister was saying as well in that he hasn't done anything wrong. It's like he doesn't need to have been physically abusive for you to say, this is not a situation that I want to be in.
0: Yeah. If you're asking this question now, is it really that good? Mm if you were fully forgiving and had dealt with the previous behavior that he has exhibited, that you told us about, which, you know, I'm not going to make any judgments on anyone who stays in any relationship. Like that's their own business. But would you be sending us this question if you weren't doubting it itself? Cause if you really thought he had changed, you probably wouldn't even be asking yourself whether you should leave. That's my initial take. And also just like, not to age shame anyone because I'm sure relationships are fine. But how old was he? He was 37 and she was 18, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's just that your mental health has improved. I think that you're a grown-ass woman now and at 18 it's really hard for us to make those decisions versus how old you are now. Everything you said in absolute <laughs> staunch
1: agreement with. But I also would have said love and I don't want to be judgy because I know it's like very nuanced. Relationships are hard. I don't think that it comes across as judgy at all. I think that you're right. I mean, I often say this, that if you're asking us for what you should do, so often it sounds like, give me permission, because society doesn't give me permission to break up with these men, so I need you to tell me to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's also said that she's at her mom's house. She has a window and stability of leaving if she should choose show. This isn't someone who's saying, like, I'm gonna be left out on the street if I make this decision right now. She obviously has a support system in place. Don't get me wrong, a lot of it really bugged me, but the one thing of him saying that she was assaulted and then she shouldn't be friends with guys, then that's the biggest red flag of my life. Like, yeah. And also. He's a great father, but if
1: he still holds those beliefs and you have a daughter, is he a great father? I find this interesting actually how often women will, and I again, no, absolutely no judgment because I know the pressure that a lot of us are under to publicly perform that. Again, once again, it's holding space for the emotions of men who have failed to really step up or prove that they deserve that care and kindness. But Mm -hmm. it's very common for women to say things like, well, he treats me like shit or he's just disinterested and like lacks curiosity about my life or he's just acts as if I'm part of the furniture or whatever. But he's a great dad and he's not ever in these scenarios, a great dad, because he does everything for the children. It's always just that he's just nice to the kids or he's like, loves his kids. You know, he's a great dad and he loves the kids. It's like a basic level of tolerance. Very basic. <laughs> but I can understand, particularly when you have a child with someone that that's, a, and it's a very vulnerable. I mean, it also leapt out to me that her daughter is three now. And yeah, from my own personal experience and from the experiences of a lot of mums that I know, Two and a half to three is when you get to the point where you're like, I can actually do this by myself. Like before I when I was recovering physically and emotionally and mentally from pregnancy and birth and also had a newborn with like sleep issues and everything, all of that stuff conspires to make you go, I just, I want to do this at some point but it has to go on the back burner right now because at the moment I'm busy putting my oxygen mask on. And she's at the stage now when she's putting her child's oxygen mask on and she's like, I'm fine. I need to take care of this child. I can do this. So the three-year-old thing stood out for me because I think that's really common. And also, again, for me, major red flag that she was 18 and he was 37. I am less concerned about age shaming than you are, not because I don't think that May, September romances can work and not because I don't trust young women to make decisions about who they fall in love with, but I just don't trust men in their thirties, particularly late thirties who are like, yeah, an 18 year old girl is the one for me.
0: The reason I know that that is like a thing is because there is no way in hell, and I will say this, there is no way in hell I would actively go into a long-term relationship with an 18-year-old boy if I was 37. I just wouldn't.
1: Totally. And and for (laughs) me, I feel like men who are drawn to those relationships are drawn to them because they have a sense that they can be in control. They feel flattered by the age difference. There's so many red flags that point to, if not, actual probability of abuse, then certainly like a high potential for it. I, I also wonder, I mean, he's clearly behaved in a, in abusive ways in the past, significantly abusive ways. I also wonder if his behavior, as she says, is, has improved a lot because they're living with her mum. Yeah. So there's a, a third adult around to witness it. So he's on his best behavior. But for me, like Ultimately the answer, the question is answered because she wants to leave. She still loves him, sure, but like a lot of us still love our partners in some level when we break up with them.
0: Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, I've just gone through the most horrendous breakup of my life and if you fully asked me if I didn't love my ex, I would possibly be lying. Like it's not – what we forget is that so much of love and like companionship, especially physicality-wise – it's like being on heroin, you know, like it's a constant reconfirmation of like, you know, oxytocin. It's biological. It's the same as why, like, I think some women who say that about their partners being really good dads is because biologically we're engineered to think that's really attractive in a partner. Like, you know, it's, you're not in entirely control of love, but that's not a reason to stay. Put it this way, if she, it was in his shoes, like she's not doing that behavior to him.
1: No. And he guaranteed is not reaching out to people and saying, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? Should, you know, how can we make this relationship work? In fact, mostly my observation is that it's women who once again do the labor on those things, you know, even to the yeah. point of saying, does anyone have any resources for how I can help my husband adjust to being a father. I don't know. Here's a resource. How about he fucking uses Google and asks his male friends?
0: It's so true. The biggest red flags of the conversation were like the age difference. His reaction to her assault is disgusting Mm -hmm. to me. I don't know how anyone can do that to a victim, let alone their female partner who's confiding in them about something that's quite traumatic. What was the other stuff he did
1: through her shit, which is just disrespectful as fuck? Oh, and the threat, I didn't specify the threat, but she did write it out, but it was verbally. Yeah. Like it, it was all the red flags and I only didn't specify it because it would be incredibly triggering to people who do experience physical abuse as well as emotional and mental abuse. Like every part of this situation suggests to me that this is a man who selected an 18-year-old girl because she would be easy to manipulate and control and where he could feel like the big man in power, where she wouldn't necessarily, just by virtue of how old she was, not any reflection on her maturity or intelligence, but she wouldn't necessarily have developed the skills at the age when he said to her it was her fault. Generally
0: the bar is just lower for us to accept that behaviour at a younger age and it's not from immaturity or, you know, lack of insight or it's not saying she hasn't Mm. been through stuff or she's not intelligent. It's just with age you accept less bullshit. Totally. And I clearly am seeing that in her story of being like, I'm a mum now. I don't know if. She's basically Mm -hmm. saying if I met him now I don't think I would date him. Then don't be with him.
1: Yeah. But also once again, you know, asking for that permission to do it. Yeah. The other thing that really struck me about what she said, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately and and it's advice that I do offer women quite frequently is, you know, when she mentioned about she wouldn't want her daughter to be subjected to this kind of behavior. So if it's if she doesn't want it for her daughter, why does she think it's good enough for her? And I really love that she said that because I actually don't see, you know, so deep is the conditioning to women, the patriarchal conditioning for us to be just be grateful that a man wants us at all. That I rarely see women making that connection between what they want for their children and what they think they deserve for themselves. Yeah. I feel like that's really key you want and this is for any woman listening to this who has a child who is dealing with a man who fundamentally even you know at best doesn't respect them and at worst is being actively by choice abusive towards them look at your children and think if you have a daughter think would i want her to be in a relationship with a man like this would i be happy with that and if you have a son how would i feel if i knew he was treating women like this. But that's not where those thought processes end. The next part of that is these children or this child or these children is the most important person to me in my life. And I want them to have the best of everything. And I don't mean material possessions. I mean, I want them to have love. I want them to have compassion and care and kindness. I would never tolerate anyone treating them with anything less than those things. So why don't they get to have the best mother? Yeah. Why don't they get to have a mother who is being treated with respect and compassion and care and kindness? Because actually one of the most important things a child can have is a healthy, well mother who is being looked after by the world around her, but if she has a father in those children's lives, whether or not they're together or not, is being fucking respected by him.
0: Agreed. I think she's... In so many phrases, she's answering her own questions. Yeah. I think as women, we're taught that our doubts are just anxieties and our doubts are just like too high of expectations. And doubts aren't everything, but if you have doubts, it's your intuition telling you something. Yeah. And coming from the perspective of a young woman, I would rather have a mother who is engaged and happy And not distracted by this other bullshit and Mm. having these doubts and like trying to put effort into a relationship that isn't equal, then have a
1: mother who's staying with my dad just to keep the family together. Absolutely. The last thing I'll say as well is that if and when you do make the decision to exit this relationship, which it sounds to both of us like you want to and that you would thrive, I wanna offer the advice and encouragement to you that you even just as a precautionary act, call 1-800-RESPECT beforehand because he has been abusive to you in the past. Whether or not you feel his behaviour has changed now is no indicator of whether or not he will become abusive when you end the relationship, and I would like for you obviously to be as safe as possible and to be as prepared as possible. So I would suggest speaking to your mother about it if you feel like you can confide in her, coming up with a plan of action and yes, definitely calling 1-800-RESPECT so that they can talk you through some of the possible scenarios that you might encounter and also what your rights are and also what you may need to look out for in terms of red flags and how to respond to them yes good luck though you're 29 you've got the rest of your life ahead of you and it's going to be fucking great You've been listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no-nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back, your big sisters. My name is Clementine Ford. I'm the author of two books, Fight Like a Girl and Boys Will Be Boys, and the fourth coming at the end of 2020, How We Love. Now, normally I answer three questions, but I was having such an incredible, robust conversations with my guest this week that we just had to cut it to two. I hope that you're okay with that. I'm sure you will be because the conversation was so good. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you look for great content, and you can also listen to all the back episodes. If you like it, then please consider rating and reviewing it, and please subscribe because it's really lovely to have a community of people who listen. If you enjoy the hotline, you can support the ongoing making of it at my Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Clementine Ford, where pledges of more than $10 per month receive access to bonus content only available for download to subscribers. And if you have a question you'd like answered, you can submit it to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. And don't worry, all submissions are treated as totally anonymous because we're big sisters and we've got your back. My guest this week has been Danny Adriana. She is a mental health advocate, a fat liberation activist, an Instagrammer and a purveyor of incredibly insightful advice. Danny, it's been fucking amazing having you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I could talk to you forever. We should just...
1: I would really, (laughs) yeah, I'd really love for you to come back. I really enjoyed our conversation. It's so good to speak to someone who, I guess like one of the things I love about you is that like you do have a really political framework on your work. And I think that sometimes I didn't expect this of you. So don't take this as a slight, but I think sometimes when people hear (laughs) things like body positivity, as you so beautifully outlined in this episode, that it's reduced to this very kind of capitalist, materialistic, and actually straight-sized activism when you offer something completely different. And I know that everyone yeah. will have really loved to listen to what you have to say and will really have had some mind-blowing moments and I think will change a lot of the way that they think about things. So thank you so much. Yay. I love you and I appreciate you yeah. and I'm so glad that you're in the world.
0: Oh, I love you too. It's really <laughs> fun. I hope everyone enjoys the episode.
1: Remember... There's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead, the Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open.